Hallelujah. Come on, can we give Jesus praise this morning? Come on, give Jesus praise. Yeah. The King. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me this morning if you can? Why don't you stand and get on your feet this morning with me? Let's pray together. I want everyone in the, this room to pray with me this morning. Dear Jesus, come on, out loud, everyone pray with your voice. Dear Jesus, I believe today is my day for a miracle. Change my life. Speak to my heart. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. Grab your Bibles if you have them or your devices. Let me see. Let me see your Bibles, your device, whatever you're using. Wave it. I love seeing all the Bibles. Amen. You can go to Luke 22. Um, if you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, we started a series on Good Friday on communion and understanding what communion is all about, that it's more than just a symbol. It's more than just symbolism. It is a, it is a pathway to breakthrough in your life. There's a blessing as we receive communion together. There's a miracle. Everybody say there's a miracle in communion. There's a miracle in communion, not just, not just symbolic, but God wants to do something through your life as, as you take communion. So over the past couple of weeks, we've taken a look at different elements about communion. Today, we're going to wrap that up with seven aspects of communion. Uh, so get ready to take notes. In Luke 22 and verse 14 is where we're going to begin. It says, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. And they said to him with fervent desire, he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this cup and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which of them it was uh, who would do this thing. Hallelujah. Thank God for a new soundboard. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So Jesus at the Passover begins to institute the, la the Lord's Supper. At the Last Supper, he institutes the Lord's Supper. Of course, over the past couple of weeks, we took a look that this is not just beginning at the Passover meal with Jesus. Communion goes all the way back. The roots of communion go all the way back to Abel. And then we, sell, we saw Melchizedek with Abraham in Genesis last week and talked about the the. The Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus showed up in Genesis with Abraham and, and covenanted with Abraham. Abraham had a covenant with God for blessing, for provision, for lineage, for a heritage. Uh, and God has the same covenant for you today. We're told that in the New Testament that we are participants, we're partakers with Abraham, with that covenant that God gave to Abraham, that you and I are recipients of the 
the Holy Spirit, that the, the manifestation, the New Testament of the every blessing, every provision of the Lord for you and I comes through this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so it's important. Communion is not just uh, grape juice and crackers. It is, it is a reminder of the communion, the fellowship, and the covenant that we have with God. You and I, number one, have a, have a reminder in communion of this new covenant that we have with Christ. This covenant is not a covenant with the blood of bulls and goats. It's not under the Old Testament practices of, of having to sacrifice a lamb or sacrifice an, a goat, but it was with the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life and was the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for you and I. So through this new covenant, we have atonement for our sin. Through the covenant with Christ, we have atonement for our sin. There's absolutely nothing that can remove or erase your disobedience and your sin except for the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can erase the record of wrongs that's against you except through Jesus Christ. And so we know through that covenant, we have atonement. There's been a payment made there, there was a payment that was required for your redemption. There was a payment that's required for your salvation. And it was paid with Jesus' own life. We have atonement for our sin. And because we have atonement, we have access. Everybody say access. You've been given access, the Bible says, into the holy place. Whereas in the Old Testament, only the high priest could go. And whereas in the Old Testament, it was only, it was only the uh, certain time and a certain place and a certain way that you could get in to the presence of the Lord. But now... But now you and I have free access. The veil that kept us out, the sin and the, the veil of our flesh that kept us out of God's presence has been torn. The day that Jesus was crucified, the veil that separated the holy place from the rest of the temple, the veil, this thick veil that was separating people from the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. When you and I receive communion, we're reminded that not only do we have atonement, but because of that atonement, I now have access into the presence of God. I don't need anyone else to represent me. I don't need another priest. I don't need another pastor. I don't need another person. I have access into the presence of God myself. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to wait for the, for the Catholic priest to come down and bless you and put something on your forehead and tell you it's okay. You can, you can come to me and now that's it. No, no, you have access into the presence of God yourself. Come in boldly before the throne of grace. The Bible says I can come boldly before the throne of grace. The Bible says I can come with confidence to the throne where God sits, where Jesus is sitting right now on the mercy seat. The, he's sitting right now interceding for you. I can come boldly with confidence because I've been given access. The reminder of this new covenant reminds me that I have an affirmation of his love. I have affirmation of his love that he loves me. When no one else 
loves me, he loves me. When I don't feel loved, he still loves me. When I'm reminded of my sin and my conscience is against me, he still loves me. While I was an enemy, the Bible says of God, while I was still his enemy, Christ died for me. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me permanently. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me permanently forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. His love is going to be poured out on my life. Think about that for all eternity. All eternity, you're going to be a recipient, a benefactor of this unconditional love of God. The creator of the universe, the one who formed the worlds, the one who breathed life into your nostrils, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who loves you. You're going to receive that love and be a benefactor of that love for all eternity. Nothing can stop the love of God concerning you. Romans says that nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can minimize his love. Nothing can diminish his love. Nothing can put an end to his love. It's eternal for you. And you and I can just step in freely today and receive and drink and drink and drink and drink of his love. If you feel unloved, have a drink of his love. If you feel like you're depressed, have a drink of his love. If you feel discouraged, have a drink of his love. If you feel like you need healing, have a drink of his love. If you feel like you need joy, have a drink of his love. If you feel like you need peace, have a drink of his love. It's freely offered. Isaiah said, oh, everyone who thirsts, come and have a drink. Why do you waste your money on things that don't satisfy? Why do you go from place to person to place and thing to thing and success to success, knowing that it doesn't supply, knowing that it doesn't fulfill, but in Christ, in Christ, in this new atonement and this new covenant, I have affirmation of his love. Yeah, yeah. I have seven things I've got to get through, so I've got to, make, I've got to keep going. It's really hard. I, I, want, I could just stop there and talk about his love all day. I could talk about how I have atonement all day. I could talk about access all day. I could talk about all these all day. Available. Everybody say available. There's blessings available for your life in this new covenant. Salvation's a wonderful thing. And if that was all he were to do was to save you, that'd be enough. If all he were to do was to write your name in the Lamb's book of life, that would be all that's needed. But my goodness, it doesn't stop there. Every, 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 every spiritual blessing has been made available to you and I. Every heavenly blessing has been made of every blessing is available. That means you have access. Available to you right now is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You have spiritual gifts available to you right now. There's divine healing available to you right now. There's words of wisdom and words of knowledge available to you right now. Right now, the blessed hope, the soon coming of Jesus Christ is available to you and I right now. There is blessing upon blessing. We have heritage. We have identity. We have access. All spiritual blessings available to you and I. You, you ought to get excited about that. I don't, I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know, but goodness and mercy is following you. I don't know if you know it. 
He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. It's a blessing. When you're facing hardship, he's got a table of joy, a table of peace spread for you right in the middle of it. Available blessing. You have a new covenant. In Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened up. He opened up a new way, a living way. It's not a, it's not a dead way. It's not a traditional way. It's not a religious way. It's not a way through dead, dead bulls and dead goats. It's a living way. He was a sacrifice. Laid, he laid his life down. He was, he was buried in a grave. He was, he was buried away in a grave. He was, he was murdered for you and I. But I've got good news. He's a new and living way. He didn't stay in the grave. The blood of bulls and goats was permanently dead, but he was permanently resurrected, alive forevermore, seated on the right hand of majesty, making intercession for you and I. He's alive, he's breathing, he's praying, and he's pouring out the Holy Spirit on all those who are hungry today. He's alive. Tell somebody he's alive. We have a new and living way. We have access into the holy place by a new and living way, not dead way. If, if church is dead, if your life is dead, I got news for you. He's alive. <laughs> if, if your experience with church is dead church, well, they haven't tasted of the alive God who rules over church. <laughs> He, my Jesus is alive and ruling and reigning. He's alive and he's happy about it. I said Jesus is alive and he's happy about it. He's not mad. He's not sitting in heaven mad at you. He's not sitting in heaven angry at you. He's not ready to beat you over the head with the holy stick. He's happy. He's alive. He who was dead is resurrected. I don't know. If you were dead and resurrected, I think you'd be happy too. You know, God was all... I'll just pause on a moment for this. God's always been happy. God's... We'll take another offering. Amen. God's, God's always been happy. God's always been happy. Jesus, Jesus, the incarnate God become flesh, dwelt among us. He was all, he's happy. He's full of joy. His joy has never been limited. But what it must have been like, how much his joy must have been amplified on the day that he resurrected, the day that, the day of, of his crucifixion, the day of his death was swallowed up in victory when he resurrected. What joy there must have been in the heart and the life of God on that day. I, 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 anyway, that's a whole nother. I need to say about communion. We're talking about communion. So communion is a reminder of the new covenant. Number two, it's a prophetic act. The Bible tells us in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony or the evidence of Jesus is, is a spirit of prophecy. What is prophecy? It's the testimony or the evidence, the proclamation of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke, this is my body, this is my flesh. It is a prophetic act. It is a prophetic testimony of Jesus. When we receive communion, we're prophesying, we're declaring 
Jesus. We're declaring, this is my body, this is my flesh. I don't believe that his, the communion, you know, we're not Catholic, so we don't believe in transubstantiation, that when you, when you take communion, it actually becomes the flesh and the blood of Jesus. That's not what we believe. But I believe that it is a prophetic act. We're declaring the Lord's death until he comes. We're declaring, we're prophesying the promises and the, and the soon coming of Christ as we receive communion together. It, throughout history, we've seen this prophetic, this prophetic proclamation through history. We talked about Abel, how Abel's blood cried out for justice. And in Hebrews, it says that we hear the blood of Christ crying out a new covenant. So all the way back, even to Abel, there's a testimony of Jesus, the testimony of communion. We see the first sacrifice with Adam and Eve when they sinned was a testimony, a proclamation, a a prophetic voice in the Old Testament of Jesus who was to come. And in Melchizedek, we see the prophetic declaration, this prophetic promise with Abraham and the, and the wine and the blood or the wine and the, the, the bread that Melchizedek brought out with Abraham. And then we see it again in the Passover, another prophetic declaration that they applied the blood. They killed the perfect lamb and applied the, the lamb's blood to the doorpost of the house. And when the, when the death angel, the destroyer saw the blood, what did the Bible say? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And Isaiah, we read it on Easter Sunday, Isaiah 53, 700 years before the fulfillment with Christ. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesied that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. It was a prophetic declaration. And today, as you and I receive communion and take communion, it's a prophetic declaration of what Christ has done for you and I. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul said, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. It was a prophecy I delivered. You, you saw that you were with Jesus. In other words, it was delivered to you. You saw this firsthand. But I'm prophesying to you, not from what I experienced firsthand on the Passover night. I'm telling you because Jesus revealed it to me. On, after my Damascus Road salvation conversion experience, the Lord revealed it to me. And I'm prophesying it to you to continue to declare the, 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 the work and the promise of Jesus through communion. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, I have been crucified. Everybody say, I've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not about me. It's not me who's living. I'm on the cross with Christ. So it's a prophetic reminder. I've been crucified. When I receive communion, it's not about me. I've been crucified. My identity, who I was, my past sin, my the record that was against me is on the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I'm reminded that in Galatians, this 
communion that we receive together, His blood and His broken body. We're reminded in communion that my record was nailed to the cross. The record of wrongs that was against me. I'm declaring, it's prophetic, that record, every account of my life is nailed to the cross. My identity is found in the cross. Who I am as a person is it has to start at the cross. Who I am has to start at the cross. My identity has to start at the cross. Who I'm becoming starts at the cross. Who God's making me to be starts at the cross. Everything about me, the old, you're a new creation in Christ. If you keep trying to bring up your old self, your old past, who you used to be, all of that is on the cross. You've been nailed to the cross with Christ. It doesn't exist anymore. You've been given a new identity. He's made you a new creation in Christ. In Christ. So when I receive communion, it's prophetic. I'm saying, I'm declaring, this is who I am now in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. I'm born again. I've been made new. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been seated in heavenly places with Christ. I'm a co-heir, a joint heir with Christ. I have access into the heavenly place with, with Christ. All everything about... Does anybody hear me this morning? In Christ. Everything made new. Prophesy. You need to prophesy over yourself this morning in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. All things are made new. All things are made new. And, and, and if, you need, if you need another reminder, then just get in the pool and bury some things. If you need another reminder, take some communion and remind yourself. Come on now. Sometimes you need a remind. Sometimes you need a reminder. That's why Jesus said, as often as you drink this, do it regularly. Remind yourself regularly. This isn't a religious experience. This is, this is a life-giving, prophetic act, reminding yourself of who God is in your life. Number three, it's an act of intercession. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul wrote, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming, you're interceding. The root word there is to pastor. When you proclaim, you're pastoring. You're proclaiming, you're preaching, you're shepherding, you're interceding as you receive communion. It's an act of intercession. It's an act as the pastor is a shepherd, as the pastor shepherds and intercedes, stands in the gap. Even so, as you receive communion, you're interceding. You're, it's a place of intercession, declaring what God has done in your life. 
What you're doing when you receive communion, you're standing in that gap between who you were and who God's making you to be. You're standing in that place in the present moment of this used to be who I was. It's, it's under the blood. His body's been broken for me. This is, this is who I was and who God's making to me to be. I'm healed. I'm sanctified. I'm restored. I'm made new. And you're declaring, you're, it's, you're preaching to yourself and interceding you're standing in that gap saying this is who God has made me to be. It's an act of intercession. It's prophetic. It's intercession. It's a number four weapon of your warfare. All around us, we're surrounded by warfare that's going on. We see it. There's a warfare for health. There's a warfare for peace. There's a warfare for free. It's going on all around us. Christ has paid for your peace. He's paid for your redemption. He's, he's victorious over every work of the enemy. So when you receive communion, it's an act of warfare. You're saying, devil, I've been, I've been purchased. I have victory in my life. This temptation that you're bringing against me, I have victory in my life. Did you hear me? When you take communion, I have victory over this. I have victory over this. I have victory over this sickness. If it's, if it's a sin issue, I have victory over this. If it's a health issue, I have victory over this. By his stripes, I am healed. I have victory. So you walk in victory. It's a weapon of war. You're saying, okay, I'm not going to put up with this. Here's what the Bible tells us. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 10. says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Did you hear me? We don't... We might, we're in a natural body, but we're not dealing with life. We're not dealing with people. We're not dealing with circumstance according to our natural man. But what are we doing? We're, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Our weapons are not of fleshly origin, but they are of divine power. Everybody say divine power. They have divine power power to destroy strongholds. I'm going to I'm going to keep reading that verse. Yeah, those strongholds. We're going to deal with that. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3 and 4 and I'm going to read verse 5. So they they have our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down, the destroying of strongholds. Now, that's exciting, but what is a stronghold? Where is this coming from? Verse 5. I'm going to keep reading. Casting down arguments I'm going to, just hang on, I just want that to sink in. I just, I want you to hear the Bible. I just want you to hear the Bible. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now we're not done, the verse doesn't end there, it keeps going. Paul keeps writing. Yeah, yeah. So arguments and high things and every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So what is he saying here? That our weapons are not carnal. They're not natural origin, but they are spiritual. They're mighty through God. They're spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled to what? To deal with arguments, high things, and thoughts that are in, in contrary to the Word of God. So when we receive communion, 
We are interceding and we are prophesying, we're proclaiming, we're reminded, all these things. It's a weapon of our warfare. And what's happening? We are dealing with thoughts, high things, and arguments that try to establish themselves against the Word of God. So how many of you have thoughts? Every single one of you should raise your hand. You are not brain dead, I don't think. There are days I may wonder, the look on your face. Some of you, just never mind. Never mind. So every thought, we have thoughts. How many of you have ever had thoughts that's contrary to the word of God? Every single one of you ought to raise your hand. And so what communion does, it is a weapon of warfare dealing with our own thoughts, right? It's dealing, what we're saying, it is a physical act. It is an act in the natural, a physical act that reminds us to deal with something we cannot see. When we receive communion, it is a, it is a tangible reality of things that we cannot see. Now let me just keep walking that out. So we're going to deal with these thoughts that exalt themselves against God. We're going to deal with these arguments that exalt themselves against God. This is a tangible act that reminds us of things we cannot see. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. So when we take communion, it is an alignment of our faith to deal with the things that we cannot see. It is a tangible act. It's why we lay hands on people. Do we have to lay hands on? The Bible tells us to do it, just like it tells us to, to take communion. But do, is it something that we would have to do outside of that? Why, why, do we ta- why do we do that? It's a tangible act. When I lay hands on you, it is a tangible act. Or when you lay hands on someone, it is a tangible act because of faith. Something you cannot see is happening. I cannot see the anointing. I cannot see the power of God. I can't. I see the results of it. I see people get touched. I see people get healed. I see the results. But I cannot see the power of God with my eyes. There are, there are days I feel like I could. It's so thick sometimes in here. But, but, there, but I don't see it with my natural eyes. It's by faith that I know that his power is at work. It's by faith that I lay hands, right? It's by faith that we get people in the pool. It's by, if, if anybody could just take a dip in some water, we'd just go say, go, go over to somebody's house and go take a dip in their swimming pool. You're okay, it's all good. We're just all gonna go dive into the water after service and come out and that'll be it. But we do it by faith because something happens in the water. Something happens. It's not just symbolic. It's not just symbolic when we lay hands. It's not just symbolic when we receive communion. It's not just a symbol. It is a tangible act of what our faith tells us. It's a tangible, I pray because my faith tells me something. I lay hands on the sick because my faith tells me something. I get in the pool and I'm baptized because my faith tells me something. It's not just a belief. It is what my faith, the unseen evidence of God 
tells me, and I have a tangible act. Faith, what did James tells us? Faith without works is. So when I have faith that Christ is my redeemer, I have atonement, I have access. When I believe these things, I'm going to receive communion as a tangible act, declaring what God has done and said. It's bringing what's in the, na- in the unseen. It's bringing what's in the spiritual. It's bringing the unseen world into the natural. When you take communion, you are connecting with unseen realities and bringing them into the natural. It is a, it is a spiritual warfare, an act of war. It's a, it's a declaration of saying, this is who God is. You can't see him. You can't, uh, you know, you can't look and see Jesus walking the aisles. He's here today. He's doing that. You, but you can't see him with your natural. But when we take communion, we're saying, he's here. And he's still saving. He's still redeeming. He's still setting people free. He's still healing. His, his atonement still pays for my peace. So it's bringing what's in the unseen into the natural. So it's a, it's a weapon of war. Number five, it reminds us of our relational covenant of unity. It's a relational covenant of unity in the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as sensible people. Do I have any sensible people here this morning? Judge for yourselves. We're going to believe you are. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we, that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many in one body, we're one body, for we all partake of one bread. So communion is a reminder that we are many, we are diverse of all backgrounds and 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 economic, socioeconomic backgrounds and education backgrounds and church backgrounds and different gifts and talents and abilities. But God has brought us all together as one body. He's brought us together in unity. Everybody say unity. We have communion with God. We have communion with each other. And we have communion with the the church, the body of Jesus Christ. We have fellowship and communion together, and the word communion reminds us of the unity that we have together. If there's disunity, if there's strife, the Bible tells us, what, it, what did Jesus say? If you come to the altar, if you come to present your offering, and you have ought, if you know your brother has ought against you, or you have ought against someone else, there's an offense, or so, what are you to do? To go and settle it and make it right and come back. When we receive communion, we're instructed to do so in a worthy manner. And what do we do? We deal with our offense. Hello? We deal with our offense. We deal with the issue before we receive communion. Because in communion, we're reminded about the unity of the body. So we're reminded, you can't take of the Lord's Supper. Listen to me. You cannot take of the Lord's Supper and not deal with your betrayer. Well, all three of you are with me. Praise the Lord. I'm going to step on some toes. Don't get, don't leave. I promise. I'll change my message in a moment. Don't get offended. I'll, I'll, I'll change my. I'll change. I'll. I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll try.
So when you're offended, Jesus had an offender at his table. Jesus had an offender at his table. And his name was Judas. And he had to confront his betrayer in the middle of Passover. And he said that my betrayer is with me. And he still served him. He still, did you, did you hear me? He still served him. He still washed his feet. He still served him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well now you got that. Praise the Lord. So, when you re- so, so today when we go to receive communion, you might need to walk across the sanctuary and forgive somebody. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I told you I'd change. I'm going to change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my notes. Number six, I'm changing. I'm going to be kind and tickle your ear. Number six, <laughs> if you believe that. <laughs> Number six, spiritual, spiritual nourishment. Number six, John chapter six. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, <laughs> I said I was going to do better. Here, I'm just going to offend you and blow you out of the water here. John, I'm going to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. So we're going to have spiritual nourishment together this morning. How many of you are ready to eat and drink? He says, if you want, if you want to have life, you've got to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Jesus is not a cannibal. That's not what this is about. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life who's come down. If you feast on me, you'll never hunger. If you believe in me, you'll never thirst. And so we feast on him. When we receive communion, it's spiritual nourishment. It's, we're feasting. It's, there's, there's, it's, not, it's not just grape juice and crackers. There's spiritual nourishment when we drink and eat. It's, it's the ha- I promise you, it's the happiest happy juice you'll ever drink. It's, yeah, it is. It is. When you drink communion, it's the, it's, the happy, it's the happy juice. You just drink it, and it'll make you happy. It'll, there's joy. Joy when you drink of the cup of the Lord. And then lastly, number seven, it's sanctified worship and thanksgiving. Jesus, with joy, with thanksgiving, took the cup. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Whenever, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Uh, Let me finish this. Verse 30 says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Okay, that's great. For some of you, that may terrify you that you'll never drink or eat communion again. Hold on, let me finish. 
But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. The problem that Paul was dealing with with the Corinthian church is that they were continuing on with communion and not reverencing the sacrifice of Christ. The word in the Greek, unworthy manner, means irreverently. It means to take it haphazardly. If you receive communion in a haphazard, irreverent manner, you bring judgment to yourself. Uh, let me say that again. I, as a pastor, my, my job is not to dictate how you're receiving communion in the moment. My job is to tell you the truth. And the truth is you're to judge for yourself how you're receiving communion. Are you doing it in a reverent manner? If you do not, now reverent does not mean pious. doesn't mean religious. It means discerning the the. The resurrection, it means discerning the crucifixion. It means discerning it what it is that you are actually doing. In other words, this is not just bread and crackers, bread crackers or whatever and, and juice. This isn't, this is, it is, but this is so much more. And we do it reverently. In the Old Testament, if they did it irreverently, went into the Holy of Holies irreverently, we know what happened. It didn't go well for them. In the New Testament, we're reminded through Ananias and Sapphira. Didn't go well with them. So, so we do it, you know, thank God we don't, you know, we haven't had to deal with any church discipline issues publicly. That you should say amen. Because <laughs> the church discipline issues in the New Testament look like bringing Ananias and Sapphira forward and saying, you've lied to the Holy Ghost, not to man. Can you imagine church next Sunday if somebody we had to bring somebody forward and say, You've you have done this unworthy not to man but to God, and they fell down dead. And it wasn't being slain in the spirit either. And the wife takes her time from getting in from out in the parking lot dealing with the kids and comes in and say the men who carried out the Carried out your husband or at the back door. Ushers, go ahead and make your way forward. And she dropped dead. That, that would deal with some church discipline issues, I guarantee you. Everybody would be in church the next Sunday. And everybody would be worshiping and everybody would be checking themselves when they got in the door. Now, you laugh, but the reality is it's very true. Uh, I, I, I won't tell you of the stories of people that we've seen this happen to, but I, I can testify that I've seen this happen. You do not want to mess with God. Now, I, I will say this is not to instill some sort of irreverent fear, but a holy fear of who God is, and that we receive communion with a holy reverence. That doesn't mean that you can't do it with joy. You absolutely ought to be doing it with joy. When you, when you recognize what Christ has done, it ought to produce joy. There ought to be an overflow. It ought to, it ought to be the happy meal of the week right here. You don't have to go to McDonald's. You can have it right in church. Have your happy meal. And I don't mean that irreverently. It's true. You can be happy. You ought to be happy receiving communion. And so it's an act of worship. It's sanctified. It's set apart in Thanksgiving. We're going to receive communion together. The worship team, y'all can come on back. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll come down and help me here. We're going to receive communion 
together. Hallelujah.